Welcome everyone to the first, the debut episode of the Fellows of Phoenix podcast, part of the Basketball Podcast Network, which just launched. Uh, I'm your host, Gerald Bourget. You may know me from Sun's Twitter, either by my name, Gerald Bourget, or by my other name, Zewio. Uh, you may know me from Fansided, from the Step Back, from the Put Back podcast. Um, I'm hoping that more of you will come to know me from the Fellows of Phoenix pod. I'm very excited about this because this is kind of my first solo venture into the world of podcasting, and it's mostly going to be about the Phoenix Suns, the team that I cover. So this is really exciting. Um, I'm still going to be doing the Putback Pod, and you should follow that pod if you have not already. We've got three other amazing, knowledgeable hosts over there. But, you know, that's a general NBA pod, and it can be kind of hard to coordinate schedules with three other people. So this one is going to be bi-weekly. We're going to be doing two of these shows a week. And uh, the beauty of it is I get to talk about the Suns, and I also get to talk about other things that are interesting to me and hopefully will be entertaining to you. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I tweet a lot about the shows that I watch or the movies that I watch. And uh, so I'm really excited to just kind of talk about whatever feels pertinent to me on a week-to-week basis. Um, And I'm really excited because I'm going to have a lot of great guests on the show too. I've always admired people that can do a solo show and just talk into the ether for 30 minutes. Um, And I will be getting better at that as we go along, I promise. But um, I'm also going to be having a lot of great show uh, guests on the show. Um, lots of people from NBA Twitter, people that cover other teams, a lot of Suns people, um, you know, and that's the cool thing about starting a Suns pod in an already saturated market is there is a really good established base of quality Suns pods out there. And you guys have been kind of my inspiration and, and my example that I've looked to in preparing for this. Um, you know, the solar panel, the timeline, seven seconds or less locked on suns, fanning the flames, bunch of other pods that I'm probably forgetting. Um, you guys are all really good at what you do. And I am just hoping to contribute to this already established base that you guys have set up for me. So, um, thank you all. If I've mentioned your pod, chances are, I'm probably going to be reaching out to you in the coming weeks for a guest spot. So be prepared. Um, But yeah, there's going to be a lot of recognizable faces around here, and uh, I appreciate all of your support. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe, write me a review, be gentle. This is my first solo show, Um, but I really do appreciate any and all feedback. We're going to have a lot of segments, um, recurring segments in the coming weeks as well. Um, We're still ironing out all those details and whatnot, but today we are going to focus on what is the best story of the Phoenix Suns so far. And that is Mikhail Bridges and the certified star leap that this dude is making. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to argue that he has been Phoenix's best player through six games, best overall player. You know, Chris Paul has had more impactful moments probably, and he's probably been the most impactful as far as um, just turning around the Suns culture and, and that winning mindset that was kind of established in the bubble you know, expanding on that. But Mikael Bridges has been their best overall player through six games. And the team is off to a five and one start, which speaks volumes to his value to this team and the way that he complements the Suns cornerstones with Booker and Ayton, but also just the way that he's establishing himself as an important piece on his own, not just as a compliment, but as 
a guy who can legitimately do things that will help this team win in the playoffs. Um, you know, through six games, and we're dealing with a lot of small sample sizes for this, these stats, so beware. But through six games, he's averaging just over 15 points a game, just over five rebounds, uh, 1.3 blocks, and 0.8 steals. He ranks second on the Suns in points, second in rebounds, tied for first in blocks, and second in steals. Um, and he's also in the top 10 for the NBA in total blocks. And honestly, he should have more because he, uh, he got whistled for a BS bull, goaltending call in Denver and then another foul in Denver that was a, it looked like a clean block on the replay. So he should honestly be higher on that list. But Mikael Bridges has been his normal swarming self on the defensive end, but the real leap in his game has been on the offensive end where, you know, he's shooting 53% from the floor, which is second on the Suns. He's shooting 50% from three, which is tied for first on the Suns. And he's shooting a perfect 100% from the from the free throw line, which is also tied for first on the Suns. He has been incredibly efficient. And again, it's only been six games. That 50% three-point shooting is not going to stay there forever. But he's looked really good. And, and the reason that he's looked so good is because he's looked so confident. Like, this is kind of his coming-of-age moment. Like, you know the kid in high school that wasn't really that popular the first couple years at the school, and then it turns out they're really good at sports, and, like, that junior or senior year, they just come to life and become Mr. Popular? Like, he's the big man on campus right now for the Suns. Like, he's leaving up his three-point stroke after makes. Like, he's just playing with this joy and confidence that we have not seen from him to this point in his career. I think we saw flashes of it in the bubble, but this is just taking it to a whole new level. Not just because the three ball is going in, but the confidence that he's displaying when he shoots those shots and when he puts the ball on the floor, um, the way he's just kind of like slithering and snaking his way to the rim. um, He's like putting guys on his back the way that Devin Booker does with his dribble and then just kind of like slicing through defenders to the rim for layups. Um, he's using his length on both ends of the floor to create easier looks for him. And it's the reason he's been so efficient, not just with his three point shot, but around the basket. Um, he's shooting just under 92% from within eight feet in the restricted area. Um, again, that's a small sample size. It's only 11 for 12, but that's a really promising start for him. And and it speaks to his efficiency. Um, and it's no wonder that he's, you know, third in the league in win shares right now. He's second in offensive rating. Uh, we're recording this heading into Sunday's game against the LA Clippers. So these numbers could change a little bit. Um, but right now heading into Sunday's action, that's where he stands. And it's incredible the impact that he's had for the Suns on both ends of the floor. The fact that he's kind of emerging as more than just a compliment to Devin Booker, but a guy that could be legitimately making a star leap. And that's what's scary is that Mikel Bridges, they don't need him to be this 20, 25 points per game scorer. Like what he's providing right now already makes Phoenix an established playoff team. So if he continues to build on that and grow, this, I mean, the ceiling is the roof in the words of Michael Jordan, because um, it's really impressive to see the growth that he's making, the aggression that he's playing with on offense, the confidence that he's playing with. Um, you know, the one thing for Bridges is that when he puts the ball on the floor, he's mostly looking for his own shot. Um, his assist numbers are way down, but the Suns don't ask him to do a lot of playmaking and they don't need him to because 
you know, one of the tenets of the point five offense is, you know, shooting, dribbling, or passing within 0.5 seconds. He's doing the shooting, he's doing the dribbling. Um, and he's not a bad passer by any means. The assist numbers are down because that's just not really his role. And because he's been looking for his shot and he's been so effective in hunting his shot. Um, and you know, the, the defense obviously remains elite. He's still prone to being out muscled on the interior from time to time, but his length really just help makes up for it. his length and his basketball IQ. Uh, if you look at that Denver game, there was a play when Paul Millsap was just bodying him in the post. And then Millsap turns around to shoot a turnaround jumper and, you know, nine times out of 10, he probably would have gotten it off. But Mikhail Bridges is the exception there. He blocks the shot. He just uses his length to swallow it whole. And you're just sitting there watching it like, man, that is a crazy play. But it's kind of one that you come to expect. Like, as soon as I saw Millsap turning, I was like, I don't think he created enough uh, room there to get that shot off. And of course, Mikhail Bridges swallows it. So he is just routinely making these absurd plays on the ball. Um, you know, getting shot blocks that most guys in the league would have no business getting. So through six games, it's still early, but if Mikael Bridges, if this leap from him is for real, like the Suns are going to be in business. They could be a top four seed in the West. And it's been really encouraging to watch that unfold given the way that, you know, his shot has kind of fluctuated over the last two years. He's made tweaks to it given the way that he's, you know, on a night-to-night basis, there have been nights where he's just kind of disappeared on offense. So far this season, that hasn't been the case once. And uh, he's taking what we saw in flashes in the bubble and really putting it together. So I don't think he'll put together the, uh, you know, offensive numbers that you need to win an award like most improved player. Um, You know, you look at guys like Christian Wood, who are just probably going to put up you know, 22 and 11 on this season. And that's probably going to be enough for him to get the most votes. But Mikael Bridges should absolutely be in the most improved player of the year conversation. Um, Just the way that he's taking flight. And even if he's not, he's got to be in the all defensive team, you know, conversation by the time this year is over, because the way that he plays multiple positions, the way that he uses his length and his intelligence to break up plays Um, to just swarm opposing players. It's incredible. So Mikael Bridges, the biggest story of the Phoenix Suns to this point in time. Um, We'll also talk about another player now who has not been off to the same kind of rip-roaring start that Mikael Bridges has, uh, and that's DeAndre Ayton. But he did have a very promising and encouraging game against the Denver Nuggets, which was honestly the Suns' most impressive win of the season, second night of a back-to-back, second night playing in that kind of altitude. Um, You know, playing against a Nuggets team that has been off to a rough start, but they were just in the conference finals last year, and they're a team that, because of that rough start, were kind of desperate for a home win. Like, they brought their game. Jamal Murray does what he always does against the Suns. Um, He went off, of course. And Nikola Jokic had a good game too, even though he had he dealt with foul trouble late in the game. But DeAndre Ayton, you know, he hasn't been off to this great start this season. He's averaging 12 points a game, which is fifth on the Suns, um, leading the team in rebounds, tied for first in block shots, leading the team in field goal percentage. But he said the most important thing that I think I've ever heard him say. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of Suns fans 
wince when DeAndre Ayton says, you know, he, he has those quotes that just kind of make you wince and kind of give off this feeling that he's not very self-aware or aware of what his game is or aware of his surroundings really. Um, but he's been a lot better in that respect as far as what he's been saying in interviews. He's been saying all the right things. And after the Nuggets game, um, which was his best offensive output of the season, his best offensive night, he said basically that you know he doesn't care as much about offense. He only cares about defense. I really don't care about offense. You know what I'm saying? Me, I, I'm just the anchor on the. I'm just the anchor for the defense. To be honest, I let the game come to me. But finding my ways around the offense is just you know being more of a, a threat. You know what I'm saying? He's only five games. He's only been six five games. So I'm not really tripping on offense. You know our defense is winning games. So that's what. The Suns, that's what this organization needs, you know, to have. When we get punching them out, what we do? Like, you know, how we how do we answer back? We already got offense. I already got – I've never seen so many shooters on one team. So, just it, – yeah, offense, offense isn't my thing. I'd rather defense than anything. And that's the truth. Aiden doesn't need to be this offensive dynamo for the Suns to succeed with him. Like, his role for the Suns, he can be very, very effective with this team – just doing very normal things. Like it doesn't take a lot for someone with his physical gifts to excel with this particular group. Um, but it starts on the defensive end, not offensively. Um, so the, so the thing with Aiton is like, he could shoot threes. He could eliminate mid range jumpers from his game and he could just roll hard to the basket and seal people around the rim. And he'd be dominant in this offense. And I, and I don't, I'm not going to do the dominating thing. I'm not going to go there. But um, as long as he's defending and doing those little things that are very doable for him, there's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship between him and the Suns' host of shooters because Aiton has that gravity rolling to the rim. Like when he is actively looking for the ball and sealing somebody on the interior, you have to bring somebody over to help him because – more times than not, especially in a pick-and-roll situation, he's going to have a smaller guy matched up on him. So if he's sealing, you have to bring someone down there, or that's an easy two points because Aiton has pretty elite touch around the rim. And he's, you know, aside from the fact that he's seven feet and, you know, 250 pounds or whatever. So when that happens and you bring somebody over, that just opens things up for the three to four shooters that the Suns have posted on the wings. Um, and in turn, having those shooters on the wings that you have to worry about is going to open things up for Aiton on the interior. It's a, it's a pick your poison situation. And it's a testament to the roster that James Jones has built, being able to surround his big man with all these shooters, surround Devin Booker and Chris Paul with all these shooters. But that could be a symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationship there. Um, as long as Aiton is rolling hard to the rim, as long as he is you know, not fading into the background. Cause there have been a couple of games this season and it's still early, but there have been a couple of games this season where he's just kind of faded into the background where um, he hasn't been as assertive or dominant or aggressive in looking for touches as he might be. Um, and we saw that against the nuggets in the nuggets game. He was not just, you know, sealing guys and looking for his shot, but, actively seeking out contact. There was one play where he like created the contact before he even went up with the shot and drew the and one. And it was a beautiful thing to witness from a guy who doesn't take a lot of free throws, who doesn't, who normally kind of shies away from that type of contact. 
or gets a lot of easy looks around the basket. So that was beautiful to witness. Um, but like the biggest thing with him in that game is that he showed something we need to see moving forward, which is his ability to stay on the floor defensively late in games, particularly in a playoff setting, because that's what's going to determine whether the Suns reach their ceiling with him on the roster, whether they can justify, you know, taking him over a certified MVP candidate in Luka Doncic. Um, If he's able to do that for a winning team, for a playoff competitive team, then you can justify it. And the early returns have been good so far. Um, You know, heading into the Nuggets game, or I think after the Nuggets game, uh, he was holding opponents to nearly 15% below their average field goal percentage within six feet of the rim. Um, You know, technically the Suns defense has actually statistically been a lot better with him off the floor. But again, that's a small sample size, and it's because the bench has been so defensively good. And, you know, the fact that Aiton and the starters are playing against better players than the bench is. So that's something to keep an eye on. But for right now, when Aiton is locked in and he's been good on this end of the floor so far this season, defensively, the Suns are a completely different team. And and we saw that multiple times in the Nuggets game. Uh, There was that play where Jamal Murray drove the lane. It was late in the game. And Aiton just went straight up. It was while the Nuggets were making a run. Um, and he went straight up, perfect verticality. Um, you know, there was some contact, but it wasn't called a foul and it wasn't a foul and Murray missed the shot. He almost made it because Jamal Murray just does that against the Suns. But, uh, Aiton went up perfectly, challenged the shot and it was a late game situation against a player who was torching the Suns and he got the stop. They got the rebound and the Suns wound up winning that game. Like those types of plays are huge, but even the kind of unheralded plays that he made on the defensive end, like uh, near the end of the second quarter, there was a play where Booker got matched up on Nikola Jokic on the block, which, you know, clear mismatch. Jokic spins right around him right away, goes to the basket. Aiton comes over from the weak side and contests the shot, goes straight up. Jokic is forced to kick it out to Paul Millsap in the corner. Millsap drives around the closeout there, and Aiton steps up again because he's in position there to challenge that shot as well. It's another miss. And uh, he tips the ball to himself over Jokic and gives it out to Jay Crowder to start the fast break. Like those types of plays, he contested two potential shots on that play and forced a pass and then forced a miss and then got the rebound off that miss. Like those, that's all that the Suns need him to do. They don't need him to be, you know, some triple double passing big man. They don't need him to be a three point shooting David Robinson or Hakeem Olajuwon. They just need him to do those things that fall within his role, these simple things. And in the Nuggets game, he showed signs that he can do that. And we've got to give him patience because like he said, he's not worried about the offense. His concern is the defensive end. And that is so encouraging to hear him say that and recognize that. Um, You know, it's not an excuse for the slow start he's been off to offensively. It's a clear statement of fact. The Suns don't need him to be offensively dominant to be a playoff caliber team. They need to be locked in defensively. And that starts with Aiton, who is one of the most important cogs in that defense. So when he's playing like that, when he's locked in like that, it's awesome to see. And and part of that I think is Aiton just brings it against Nikola Jokic. And he even said this after the game that Jokic is someone that he admires, that he looks up to in a lot of ways as a big who can do it all. So every time he faces off against Jokic, 
like he brings his A game. And that's great. That's a great tendency to have. It also makes you wonder why he can't do that on a night-to-night basis. And I think there are a couple of answers to that. Um, One of which is that he's still young. You know, he's brought this up himself. Like he only played 38 games last season and it was self-inflicted. Obviously that wound, you know, the 25 game suspension and whatnot, but like he needs that kind of daily or nightly challenge to keep him focused and motivated. And that will be something that's kind of on the coaching staff to provide for him. And it sounds bad to be like the coaches need to provide him with some sort of like nightly motivation to keep him engaged. But at the same time, these are things that help the Suns win. And when you provide Aiton with that kind of direct challenge, that direct objective, he has the tools, physical, mental, to get the job done. And so, you know, that is a challenge for Monty and the coaching staff to kind of keep him locked in keep coming up with these game-by-game objectives for him to fulfill to help the team win. But if he does it, then, you know, guess what? He's contributing to Sun's victories. Um, And that is the most important thing. And I think the offense will get better because the Suns, you know, their offense has clicked in large part. They've shot the ball really well. But there have been stretches where it's looked a little haggard. Um, And that's part of the feeling out process, developing chemistry with a bunch of new faces, Chris Paul and, and Jay Crowder learning a new offense. Like there are a lot of new pieces, a lot of guys that are still building that on court chemistry. So I think it'll get better as time goes on, especially for Aiden Aiden. Um, and I, and I think that the role that he filled in that nuggets game is exactly, I mean, it's perfect. He's not going to score that much on a night to night basis, but um, if he's able to do those things that he showed in the Denver game, then I think there'll be less nights where we're wondering like, where is Aiton's head at? Like, he's just not there tonight. Um, I think there'll be less of those nights moving forward. Um, and, and this is kind of a tangent that is related to that, but the Suns defense has been really good. And it's the reason that they've been off to this five and one start heading into Sunday's Clippers game. Um, they're second in the league in defensive rating holding opponents to 100.7 points per 100 possessions. They're first in opponent points per game, um, and they're only 11th in offensive rating. So that's promising that their offense is almost top 10, despite the fact that they're still figuring some things out. But it's really encouraging that their defense has been so good. Like, this is the first time I think I've ever said this about a Suns team since I've been covering them, started covering them like six years ago. But this is the first time I've ever been able to say this team's identity is on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and it's the reason they've been off to this start. Uh, the funny thing is they're not really creating that many turnovers. They're only 28th in steals and 18th in blocks per game. They're just really sound. Like they're swarming. They're all over the place. They're switching a lot because they have the personnel for it. Um, you know, they have the strength, they have the length, they have the basketball IQ to switch a lot of these, these pick and rolls. Um, but they've just been all over the place. They're not wreaking havoc as far as creating turnovers, but they are just very sound defensively. And they challenge a lot of shots and they close out those possessions with defensive rebounds. Um, One thing to keep an eye on as well, as far as their defense is, you know, right now they're holding opponents to the third worst percentage from three point range, 30%. That percentage is going to go up just regression to the mean opponents. Aren't going to shoot that poorly against them. There will be hot shooting nights from opponents, 
But the encouraging part is that they're holding those opponents to the second fewest three-point attempts per game and the fewest makes per game. Um, obviously, the makes are going to go up as the percentages rise, but if they can continue to limit opponents from shooting that shot um, with their ability to get out and recover and you know recover on shooters, that's huge. That's a very important part of modern NBA defense in a three-point heavy league, and it's good to see that right from the start. Um, and you know they're they're getting better in transition as well. You know they're they're second in opponent points off turnovers, twelfth in opponent fast break points. Um, they're in the upper half of the league for both opponent points in the paint and second chance points. So they're doing the things that you need to do to be a good defensive team so far. We'll see how long it holds up, but they really do have the personnel for it. And uh, it is exciting to see a team that's not just proficient on offense, but you know knows where its bread is buttered as far as the defensive end of the floor. Um, moving on to another topic, because... <laughs> You know, I, I don't want this to just be about the Phoenix Suns. I want this to be a generally entertaining podcast. So I feel like there's something that I need to address that I haven't been able to speak publicly or I just haven't spoken publicly about for a while now. And that is what happened with my Twitter account. <laughs> because if you've been following me for a while, you are well aware that for about six weeks in October and November, my Twitter account was hacked. And I feel like this is a good story to tell. Um, for this story, this storytelling segment here that I'm going to do. Um, but let's, let's flash back to Thursday, October the 8th. I remember the day because I still have it saved in my damn email. Um, you know, I get back to back emails, you know, those emails that you get from like Netflix or whatever, when you log into a different device from somewhere on the same account and they're like, someone has logged into your account from such and such place. Like if this was you, great. If not, you need to change your shit immediately because you are being hacked. So I got back-to-back emails like that from Twitter. Uh, one of which was telling me that they had logged into my account in Philadelphia and one in San Francisco. And I get these like in the same minute with the timestamp. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, shit, someone has hacked my Twitter why has someone hacked my Twitter? Second of all, like I'm, you know, I, I, okay. Yes. My Twitter is verified, but like, I don't even have 10,000 followers to my name. I'm not Ryan Reynolds. Like, what are you people doing? Why do you want to be me? So I'm frantically trying to log in and change my password, but the email address, you know, that they send the reset password email to has been changed. So it's not my email address anymore, the point of contact. So I'm clicking change email. And this person who has this new email address is getting like five or six of these emails and I can't log in. So I'm locked out. I can't change my password. Um, I had officially been hacked and I don't know if you've ever been hacked on anything, but when this happened, my initial fear was that someone was going to post something that would ruin my career because I use my Twitter professionally and personally, but like, that's scary because when you don't have access to this online persona that you've spent 11 years creating, one tweet can take you down. And it's not like I have this huge national following or something, but all it takes is one like racist, profane, homophobic, or sexist thing to ruin your reputation forever. So as soon as I lose this account, my first thought is like, what if they tweet something awful in my name and people think it's me? Like, is this 
is someone trying to just like ruin my career for no reason? And at that point, I'm like, okay, well, who would, who would try to do that? Like, why would they do that to me? I'm not even like a national voice or anything. Like I cover a son's team that's been shitty for like five or six years now. Why would they do that? And then your mind goes to really rational places. And it's like, my ex hated how many Twitter notifications I would get. She knew how important my Twitter was to me. Is she trying to ruin my life and hit me where it hurts? Like, what is going on here? So your mind goes to rational places. That's not what it was. But you think it for half a second. So, you know, and I never had any two-factor authentication turned on because, like, it's Twitter. Like, why would they want to hack my Twitter account? It's very, it's a very personal thing. Like, my voice on Twitter is very distinct from everyone else's, and everyone's voice on Twitter is their own voice. Like, why would you want to be me? Um, so I basically, I filed the complaint with Twitter immediately, and I didn't hear back over the weekend. Um, it was a Thursday night when it happened, and it was late. So I was like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe they just don't operate on weekends, or maybe they're busy, um, whatever. I'll wait until Monday to follow back. Um, and I posted something on my Instagram story about being hacked because I found in life when bad things happen to you, oftentimes it sucks in the moment, but it'll make a good story later. So I was already trying to find humor in the situation. So I posted something on my Instagram story and I get this message request from an account that I don't follow, doesn't follow me. And I like look at it and it just says, LOL, that sucks, bro. And I'm like okay, is this like maybe just some anonymous son's fan on Twitter that is reaching out on Instagram? Or is this like something with malicious intent? So I go to this person's profile and it, I watch their story and it's literally just picture after picture of off, like a verified Twitter account that's been hacked and he's auctioning these things off. So there's like a price tag on each one and I see mine and I'm listed at $125 and I don't know how to react because my first thought is, you know, a lot of curse words, a lot of angry words. Like, why would you do this to me? Like what kind of weird black market have I stumbled into? And then my other thought is, wow, that's impressive. Like my online persona would sell for $125. <laughs> like, I don't know how to react to that. Uh, anger wins out in the end. Um, and I start messaging this guy back and it was probably really funny to him because I was so like upset about this and what a first world problem to be upset about. But you know, 2020 was already enough of a shit show. I didn't need like the added stress of an account that I use for personal and professional means to just add on to all of that. It's a first world problem, but it still really bothered me. So he's probably getting a kick out of my angry messages, cursing him out and whatnot. But Eventually I cool down and I try to like make jokes with him and make light of the situation uh, just to see if I can like trick him into giving it back. Like maybe he'll think, oh, okay, this guy's not being a, a dick about it. Maybe we can give him his Twitter account back since I already have, you know, 12 others that I've hacked and I'm going to be making money off of. It didn't happen. He tells me that he sold the account. I go right back into like F you dude, like you get a real job. <laughs> all this stuff. Um, just super angry online. And so at that point, I need to create a burner account or a new account because I need my Twitter lists that I've compiled to do my day-to-day -day job. So I have like these news desk shifts with Fansided 
where anything that happens in sports, whether it's NBA, NFL, MLB, any sport, um, if something happens, we need to either find a staff writer to cover it or I need to write about it myself. So we have all these Twitter lists that are shared through these editors that also do these shifts. And uh, I, I use them to keep track of what's going on in sports that I'm not as familiar with because most of my MB, my Twitter following is all NBA stuff. Like that's my area of expertise. So I need these Twitter lists to do my job. Um, I don't know if you've ever lost access to an account, but even if they're people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, it is hard to remember all the people that you were following when you just lose that. So I'm starting from scratch. I'm having to try and remember everyone that I'm following, trying to build these Twitter lists back up so I can do my job, Um, trying to get the word out frantically that like this account has been hacked. It's not me. Whatever is tweeted from this point on is not me. Like I do not want to lose my (laughs) reputation as an NBA writer over this. Um, So, you know, I think a day goes by or whatever. The account's been sold. and this person named Zewio starts watching all my Instagram stories. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then I realize why the next day, because Zewio is now the uh, Fortnite streamer who is in charge of my Twitter account. You know, they changed my name and they unfollow everybody that I've been following. And I had been following like 4,000 people. So, you know, honestly, I was probably following too many people, but like, they unfollowed everyone that I had spent 11 years following, building relationships with, reading their work, people that read my work, vice versa. Like, I was so mad. And, and I was also mad because in creating this new account, I couldn't go to that account and check who I was following and just refollow all those people. So, so mad. And I start this burner. And it was really nice, honestly, to see the backing and the support of everyone who followed me because you know, you, you kind of wor- you wonder sometimes like, okay, if I don't tweet for like a couple weeks, are is anyone going to remember that I'm gone? Like, did I leave that much of an imprint at all on Twitter or am I just going to kind of fade into the background and be forgotten? And it was really nice how many of you were like reporting the account, like reaching out to me, offering support, making jokes with me because I was trying to make light of a shitty situation. Like that was really cool to see. Um, but weeks go by and I'm trolling Twitter support every single day. I've got this like puppies thread, this thread of adorable dogs that I've babysat or my roommate's dog trying to get their attention. I'm comparing them to my toxic exes from the past. Like <laughs> I'm doing everything in my power to just get Twitter support's attention because I've filed multiple claims with them. I've sent them emails, very angry emails. Um, just kind of wondering like, what are you guys doing? Are you going to ever help me? Like what is going to become of this? And, uh, you know, it, it was just a really long winded process because I've got people that have Twitter contacts that are reaching out to these Twitter contacts, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to get it fixed for me. And every time they're like, Oh, we escalated the situation with Twitter support, but nothing happens. I'm having to tweet and like work the NBA finals from this burner account and then I see that Zwio, the account is either hacked or sold again. And this time it's to this like Arabic account that's setting up some sort of insider trading scam. And I lost so many followers from it because I, like me, quote unquote me, started tweeting all this stuff in Arabic. And <laughs> my account had been changed and it unfollowed everyone. And then it deleted all my tweets, which was like a low blow because... 
that's 11 years worth of just tweets from on the job, interacting with people that I admire with professional athletes on occasion. Like, um, you know, there was my pinned tweet, I think was, uh, a video of Greg Popovich reacting to the death of Craig Sager, which was just this emotional and beautiful moment. And one of the most memorable moments that I've had in my career covering NBA basketball. And then it's just gone. Uh, and you know, all the Devin Booker game winners that I recorded from in the arena, all this different stuff, it's just gone. And it's such a first world problem. Again, I know that 2020 has been a shitty year and, and my Twitter account being hacked doesn't even make the top 15 reasons why this year was so bad. But like, that, that was just kind of painful because I had spent 11 years building this online persona up and all of it was just erased like that. So finally, on my sister's birthday, I'll, I'll remember it because A, it was my sister's birthday and B, it was the starting day of NBA free agency, which kind of sucked because I was, I was in town quarantining with my family. I was there for her birthday, but I was literally working the whole time during her festivities, so I felt terrible about that but it's just a long night of working covering NBA free agency. And I finally, I get tagged in this thread between AOC and someone who works for Twitter support and God bless you all for like continually trying to help me get my Twitter account back because um, they brought it to my attention that this person had been able to help AOC with her Twitter bug that she was dealing with. And they tagged me in it. So to put me like in contact with this person. So I reach out and literally just like I thought they were able to fix it in five freaking minutes. Like they fixed it so quick um, and got me my Twitter account back. And the whole weekend I'm just kind of waiting to figure out, you know, are they going to be able to revert the settings so that I'm still following all the people I've been following before? Um, are they going to be able to, you know, bring my tweets back. Most importantly, the answer ended up being no, but I waited the whole weekend and, uh, finally got it back. So, and then I post something on my Instagram account about getting it back and Zwio watches my story and he just responds LOL to it. So the, the moral of the story is there are some nasty, ugly people in this world who their objectives and their desires and their goals are just weird and don't match up with your own. But at the end of the day, you know, good things will still happen. We're going into 2021 strong. Um, good will prevail in the end, hopefully. But uh, boy, it didn't feel like it for a while. And, <laughs> you know, I was, I'm scrolling through these emails that I sent to Twitter support, just kind of shouting into the void. And I'm kind of laughing because they got increasingly angry and desperate. Um, you know, my last one, you know, what are you guys doing over there? Have I, how have I not been updated on anything yet? It's been three weeks. And then the last one I sent is anything or am I just screaming into the void? I know I'm not a celebrity or anything, but it's pretty unbelievable. You just completely ignore a hacked request, um, especially after so many people have reported it. Any assistance would be wonderful considering it take you five minutes to set the account right. And it's almost been three damn weeks already. What a shitty support service. <laughs> like I was just so mad online. So it's nice to be able to laugh about it now. Um, and thank you all for your support. But uh, man, what an ordeal. And I'm glad I got to tell that story in full. 
Um, but I think that's going to wrap it up for this first debut episode of the Fellows of Phoenix podcast. Thank you guys all for listening. Thank you for your support. Please make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave me a review. Um, like I said, I'm going to be having a lot of guests on in the coming weeks, so it won't just always be a solo show. We're going to have a lot of fun segments, talk about Suns basketball and a lot of other fun stuff. Um, but thank you for tuning in again, and we will catch you later this week for episode two. Episode two.